You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Mel Gibson in the movie The Passion of Christ does an excellent job of showing us the intensity of Gethsemane. Many New Testament theologians, some of the the greatest theologians, consider Gethsemane to be the most critical part of the battle for our redemption, even more so than Calvary. Because here, Christ was battling our enemy. Um, I wrote this statement, we never appreciate an act of service until we understand the sacrifice that is involved. Now let me repeat that, we never really appreciate an act of service until we understand the sacrifice that has taken place, the cost, in order for that service to be provided. Gethsemane, the word means olive pressed. Olive press. Here, uh, one writer said, the agony of the cross begins to bear down the weight of man's sin, separation from the Father, the betrayal of Judas, the denial of Peter, the abandonment of all the disciples. It's here at Gethsemane. Chuck Swindoll said that when you go to Gethsemane, it is a foreboding place. And you can see that even as you witness it on the video. But in Mark chapter 14, picking up at verse 32, do you have your Bibles? Do you see that? Say amen. Amen. It said they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch, he said to them. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon said to Peter, Are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away, he prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. This is after midnight. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We give you glory, Lord, for you alone are worthy to be praised. 
We pray, dear Lord, for the beauty and the majesty of this moment. Take us into Gethsemane and may we understand the cost and the sacrifice that would be paid. And we give you the glory. You alone are worthy. Cleanse me, Lord. Let me be a vessel that can be used. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Again, Swindoll says this is a foreboding place. It literally is. Olive Press, uh, Gethsemane. It's a garden. It's probably a place where Jesus had often gone with his disciples. In fact, let me say something that I believe is critical. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say critical. This is critical. One writer said this is the only instance recorded in the Scripture where the Son's will struggled with the will of the Father. Isn't that powerful, Reggie? This is the only place in all the Bible where the Son's will struggles with the will of the Father. One writer said everyone will at some point in his or her life have what we call a Gethsemane moment. And I believe that's true. So there's three points here today. Number one, Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, this moment that you saw uh, just a few minutes ago on the, on the video here, Gethsemane, number one, is a picture of the humanity of Christ. I read one commentator who made this statement. He said, we are uncomfortable with the humanity of Christ. It's awkward for us. It's unfamiliar to us. God, listen to this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You've heard me say it a lot of times in the Shona language of those people in Africa where they would look at me and they'd say, Mwari akafeka munyama. What they were saying in that African language is that God dressed, the creator invades his creation, puts on the flesh of man and comes to reconcile man to himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The flesh became, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, the God man. We're not comfortable with that. It's awkward for us. It's unfamiliar. Daniel's messianic title, the son of man, the one that Jesus would use more than any other. Incarnation, pre-incarnate. We see glimpses of Jesus in the Old Testament in a pre-incarnate state. But incarnation is God putting on the flesh of man, stepping into his creation. But Gethsemane is a picture of of Christ's humanity, and it's, and it's uncomfortable. I, you know, it's even scary preaching it, I think, Reggie. You know, it's frightening when you realize your parents are weak. It's a frightening moment when, you're, when your parent shows age, when they show weakness. When you see a chink in your parent, your dad or your mom's armor, it's, it's an awkward thing. I, I told you, when I was a boy, I'll never forget the phone call that came late. Well, it really came early, early in the morning, like 4 a.m. in the morning. And I heard my dad just gasp. My mom sat down on the edge of the bed. I ran in there because I knew the news was bad. And my dad, 
uh, said, son, come with me. We got in that old 1962 Ford pickup going around those gravel roads, heading at a high rate of speed, going down to where my grandmother was, where she lived. And my dad turned and looked at me, tears streaming down his face. This engineer with NASA, this man's man. And he looked at me and he said, son, my dad is dead. My dad's gone. And he wept. For me, for a moment, it scared me. Because I saw a chink in my dad's armor. I saw my dad, this, this man's man, all of a sudden look like a little boy looking back at me, a teenager. We're, we're not comfortable. In verse 34, we, we see where Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. One writer said, That's painful. The one who interrupted funerals is now making the arrangements for his own. Think about that. The one who interrupts funerals, who brings people to life, is now at this moment making his own funeral arrangements. Death is unfamiliar to Jesus. This is the one who said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And you remember we go through that. And then Thomas, he begins to talk about the way. And he says this, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Death is unfamiliar to God. It's, it's awkward. Is God getting ready to die? Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Shema Israel, hear O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. But now God is talking about dying. God is in the flesh. This is awkward and unfamiliar in eternity. It's never happened. God is putting on the flesh of man. He's invading his own creation. And he must reconcile man to himself. But to do so, God must die. It's awkward. Jesus said no one can take his life. You remember that? No one can take his life. He has to give it away voluntarily. Because nobody can take it. Why? Because he's alive. When you look down at verses 37 and 38, then he returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Here he needs the fellowship of his friends. He needs relationships, but instead that he's alone. His disciples are a sad disappointment. They're ignorant of the moment. They're, they're, they're in and out of sleep. They're drowsy. You ever had those moments when you had something really important and it was pressing on you and it had weighed you down and you were talking to your parent, you were talking to your spouse, you were talking to a dear friend and they, they were nodding off? And you really want to scream to them, wake up, this is important to me. I need you to hear me right now. And they're dozing. I wrote down here, everyone has a Gethsemane. Time in your life when relationships fail and only Christ will be faithful. Only God is faithful. Why? Because we're flawed. We sleep at unopportune times. Ruth Graham, as she said to Billy Graham, she smiled and said, Billy, we are a work in progress. And let me tell you this, folks. In those Gethsemane moments, in those times of 
when you are battling in a trial or difficulty, be careful that you do not put your faith and trust in the relationships of the people around you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, because really the reality is, is there'll be times in your life when relationships fail. And they did for Jesus. You remember back in verses 29, same chapter, go back, look at verses 29 through 31. You remember this conversation, we talked about it last week. Peter declared as Jesus began to talk about his death, Peter declared in verse 29 of of, of Mark 14, even if all fall away, I will not. Verse 30, Jesus said, I tell you the truth today, yes, tonight before the rooster crows twice. You yourself will disown that you even know me. Wow. I wrote down here, I think sometimes Jesus is saying to you and I, no, I don't want you to be a missionary in Africa. I just want you to keep the nursery. Isn't that true? Jesus Jesus was only asking Peter to do one thing. He said, you know what Peter said? He said, Lord, I'll not deny you. I'll go to prison. I'll even die for you. And Jesus said, Peter, you won't even stay awake the night. You won't even last the next few hours. You know how long this Gethsemane time lasted? It lasted for three hours. It was was in the middle of the night, just three hours of agonizing prayer. And Gethsemane is the battleground. The cross is the victory, but Gethsemane is the battleground. One writer said, here Satan in Gethsemane will pitch his last effort, his last desperate attempt to derail the redemption, the plan of redemption ushered in by God himself. The enemy is working. You see that. You get the picture of it when you listen to that video and you look at the intensity of that moment as Satan and Jesus are... This, listen, this is good and evil. This is God, Lucifer, Diabolos, the devil, the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. He's fighting everything to get in the way of redemption. It's the most intense moment in all of creation the most intense moment in all of eternity because here's where the battle would be raged. This is the spiritual warfare, what I call the spiritual Armageddon. This is the sovereign of the universe. One writer said this is the sovereign of the universe stumbling, his breath giving away. He's looking into the cup. He's looking into the sacrifice and the cost of what it will entail. And in that moment, he's grasping and crying out. Sheila and I were walking yesterday and I asked her, I pose this question. I want to pose a question to you. You ready? Suppose right now this room emptied and it was just you and God here. And God looked at you and he said, I'm going to make a proposition for you. I'm going to take I'm going to give you the opportunity for every boy and girl in Batson Hospital who's dying of cancer, I'm going to give you the opportunity to see that every one of them are healed. But this is what it will entail. 
I will take the full weight of their disease, their cancer. Our worship leader is a chaplain at the cancer center. He had to leave to go to the hospital. He would know what this is about. But God looks at you and He says, I'm going to take all of that disease, all of that pain, all of that hurt, all of that, and I'm going to, in a moment, take all of that and put it on you, and you're going to feel the full pain of their cancer in that moment. And if you can survive this, if you can do that, if you'll do this, if you'll willingly do this, I will cure all the cancer of every boy and girl in Batson Hospital. Let me ask you something. Would you do it? You see, in some ways, it gives us a little bit of the flavor of Gethsemane. It would be the equipment. Now, let's take it a step farther. You may say, well, you know, I'm pretty, I, I probably would do that. Now, let me tell you something. You ever seen somebody dying of cancer? My mom died of throat cancer. It was horrible. The pain, the agony, the point to where you can't any longer medicate the pain. I've been there where dads cried over their grown son and begged me to pray. Pastor, pray with me that he can die, that God will go ahead and take him. God, please take my son. I can't stand to see this anymore. And you may say, well, you know, I would be willing to do that. Let me ask you something. Would you be willing to do it out at the Heinz Correctional? Would you be willing to take all the pain, all the sorrow, all the disease, all the heartache of the prisoners of Heinz Correctional, would you be willing out there at Raymond, would you be willing to take all of their pain, their disease, their sorrow, would you take all the pain and sorrow that your worst enemy has brought into your life, would you take that upon yourself in order that they could go free? That's Gethsemane. That's what Jesus did, and that's why it's such... A battle, Gethsemane. It's a picture of the horror of the cross. You know, when I read verses 35 and 36, look at those verses. It says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus in his humanity is looking at the cost of Calvary. He's looking at the cost of salvation. He's looking at the cost of paying our penalty so that we can go free. He's looking and basically he's looking at this. God is getting ready to credit your sin and my sin and the sin of all humanity onto the account of Jesus Christ. And he's getting ready in the same moment to credit his righteousness to us as if we had never sinned in all our life. Saved by grace through faith, the gift of God, not of works. That's what he's getting ready to do. Jesus looks at that, and the picture of the news is so heavy that he can't stand it almost. You know, I wrote down here, it's the picture of news so bad, a phone call, a doctor's visit, an x-ray, an officer at the door. I remember when I was a boy and we were moving. My dad was moving back to Florida, back to NASA. We're doing the, uh, the early stages of the moon mission and we were living in Texas and my, my dad had that truck and he was going to get this big, long, 16-foot, Jerry, I think, U-Haul uh, trailer to pull behind that truck and we were moving the next day. And so my dad had gone to get that trailer and to bring it back to the house 
And I remember, I can still see this. I was just a little bitty boy. I was like six years old. I'm playing in the front yard, and all of a sudden a police car pulls up. Two officers get out. One officer goes to the door. My mom comes to the door, and all of a sudden I remember my mom just fainted. The officer called her before she hit the floor, hit the ground there on the, pat on the front patio of the front of our home. My dad had totaled, he had literally got, ran a red light, somebody ran a red light, he collided, it tore the truck up, he was in hospital, and it was just a major traumatic time, but I never forgot that moment, seeing her fainting. This is the wife who goes to the door. I was a chaplain in the military. This is the wife that goes to the door, a young woman who goes to the door and her children, little children are gathered around her and she opens the door. There is the chaplain, a battalion chaplain. There is an officer and they're looking at her with a sadness in their face and they look at her and they say, I'm sorry, your, huh, your husband is either missing in action or he's been killed. cost of freedom. This is the scene on January, I wrote down, this is the scene on January 28th, 1986. You remember that? Maybe you're too old or too young to remember that, but January, January the 28th, 1986 the nation was watching as this Challenger, the space shuttle was going up and as it was going up it was carrying a teacher, the first teacher to ever go into space, a public school teacher she was going into, the, into space. Her family, her parents, everybody was gathered there. They were all watching. I was watching on TV. 73 seconds into the flight, an O-ring bled out fuel. The, plane, the thing exploded. And all of those lives were lost in a moment. And I still see the moment when the mom, the parent, the mom of that, of that teacher, she's just mesmerized because if you've never seen a Saturn V rocket take off, when a Saturn V rocket takes off, you think you're literally in the middle of a major earthquake. And the mom is just mesmerized. And all of a sudden, 73 seconds into the flight, when those were beginning to peel off, you think, you look for a moment, and she sees this ball of smoke. And for a moment, she smiles as if it, it's thrown off those, 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 those boosters and it's, and it's going farther when all of a sudden there's a gasp. And she realizes that her daughter's gone. And you may say, Brother Jeff, why do you say that? Because if you summed up all the things that I've talked about, I, I was, t I was uh, a young man um, who asked to be a friend on Facebook was messaging me back and forth and he said, did you know my uncle and aunt, his uncle is an electric uh, contractor, owns an electric contracting business. Uh, did you know my uncle and you know my aunt? And, and I said, yes, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, he was just amazed by it. And he said, well... Um, he said, how do you know my uncle? I said, I said, young man, I was the man who left Meridian, drove to Columbus, walked, got your uncle out of a, out of a contract. Uh, they were in a contract conference at the air base there, and I had to tell your uncle that your grandmother had been killed in a one-car accident. That's who I am. And on Facebook message, y'all. I was there when your grandmother died. She was coming home. She worked nights. She, they believe, fell asleep near a tree. You may say, Brother Jeff, why do, you, why do you tell us all these stories? Because when you sum all of the above up and you understand just a little taste of pain and sorrow, Gethsemane is gut-wrenching. 
When you come to this moment in the life of Christ, let me give you the picture here. Sheila and I, we were walking yesterday, and I was tears. I was fighting tears as I was telling her this. This is the picture. He gets up, and he falls. He gets up, and he falls. He gets up, and for about 30 yards, he gets up. He falls, he gets up, he falls, he gets up, he falls, he gets up, he falls. Have you ever gotten news so bad? You may not have been there yet. You probably will be. Have you ever gotten so news so bad that when you got it, you, you literally felt blood leaving your body as if you were getting ready to faint? You can't stand up. You know what it is when your mom passed away and we were there, there when that doctor looked at you and said, I'm sorry, your mom is gone. And you collapsed outside the hospital, me hovering and us hovering around you. This is Jesus. He's collapsing. The, the weight of what he is about to do is so heavy upon him. He walks, he stumbles, he falls, he gets up, 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 he falls. And heaven is standing at attention. The divine tribunal is warring for the soul of man. Mark says here that Jesus was distressed. He was troubled. He was terrified. These are all Greek translations where the emotion is so real and raw with anxiety to the point of death with such intensity that, listen to this, his capillaries are busting and combining with the sweat and he is sweating what appears to be blood. On death row inmates, when death row inmates are going to be put to death, it's not unusual to see them do the same thing. This is stress to the level that your capillaries burst and combine with the sweat. And you sweat blood. I did a CPR for an hour and 45 minutes on my friend's father as a, as a working in ambulance service. When the doctor finally called it, the nurse was wiping sweat off of me. Back then, I was a couple hundred pounds, a pretty healthy boy. I'd been doing an hour and 45 minutes when he finally stopped. I picked her dad up. He had shot himself, blew his, half his spleen away, and he bled to death, and I tried to keep him alive, putting IVs in him. We began to put blood in him. We were trying to save his life. And at one point, the doctor looked at me, and I'm doing CPR back in those days. This is back in the 70s. We're doing CPR with an ambu bag, and we're trying to keep this man alive, but the doctor's trying to figure out how to get into his spleen and stop the bleeding. And I'm sweating what looks to be green, discolored sweat, and the doctor looks at me and says, what in the world are you sweating? I've often wondered, maybe that was a taste, of what it means to be under such stress but then thirdly, Gethsemane is a picture of a hallowed crown. Don't you love this scene? It makes me as a man proud. Jesus was a man's man. Don't you love that scene? This Jesus is there on his knees and in the intensity of that prayer as he's wrestling and struggling with the cup that he's about to take and all of the pain and the sorrow that he's going to go through there on Calvary and he's already beginning to feel the intensity of that moment. You see Satan there. Satan, this is a picture. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual rulers, wickedness. Let me tell you something. There is a spiritual battle in this room right now and my friend, it's definitely in this community. 
We are in a spiritual war. And you see Satan there, the slanderer, Diabolos, the devil, the, the Lucifer, as he's the light bearer, fallen angel, as he's speaking these lies and accusations into the life of Christ. You see this snake as it begins. But you see that point in that moment when his face is intense. He's a man's man, strong resolve. When he looks up and he looks stern in that moment and he stands up... And he fulfills prophecy that goes all the way back to the garden. You remember what God told our Creator, told Adam and Eve? He said, the serpent will strike your heel, but your heel will, one, your heel will crush the serpent's head. That's the kind of men we need today. Men with strong resolve. Women with strong resolve. Men and women that can't be bought. Men and women whose salvation is settled. Men and women whose will is so united with the Father that they're on the, they're on the same team with God. Is yours this morning? One writer said this, Satan knew in Gethsemane, Satan knew this, no Gethsemane, no cross. No cross, no empty tomb. No empty tomb, hell for us. It's all right here. One writer said, I begin, uh, well, I begin by stating that we have a Gethsemane in our own lives, a point in our own lives, a point just much like Christ when it's a moment of decision, fleshly will in conflict with the will of the Father. Have you been there? That place in our spiritual pilgrimage with number one, it's just you and God. Number two, that place where His will, His plan, His purpose for your life will cost you personally and sacrificially. Number three, that place where prayer becomes a war zone. Number four, that place where there are no props, no people, no man-made power, no self-will. You'll need God to make a, a, a decision. Have you ever been there? You ever had a Gethsemane moment? Story is told of a of a man. Uh, 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 he was an engineer with the train company, and they have on one of these major rivers. You've probably seen them. They have a bridge that can go across and link the tracks together so that trains are able to navigate and go across the river. His father was really proud of what he did. That train, that trestle would turn and it would turn with the river so that the ships and boats could come through. And then when a train was about to come, it would whistle. It would, well, it wouldn't whistle. It would actually radio ahead and say, we're coming, so that he knew to turn that trestle and to lock it into place. And that train, an Amtrak train, a passenger train, would be able to make its way across. On this particular day, this father had his little boy with him. He was like any dad. He was proud of what he did. He carried his son. He 
He took his son all around there. He carried him up into the chamber there that he would sit and all of the machinery and the, and the switches and the lights and all of that. And his son was just mesmerized. And then afterwards, he carried him down into something much like this. They walked down in the stairwell where he was able to show his son all of the mechanism and the gears, massive gears that, that would turn that massive bridge and lock it into place. He showed him the locking mechanisms. But then the time came, the signal came, the radio came, and he went back to the control operating room there where he was to, he had gotten the information that the train was getting close and he needed to turn and make sure that the bridge was locked into place. As he turned and began to, to, to draw his attention to that, he realized that his little boy was nowhere to be found. Immediately frantic, but now time was of the essence. The train was on its way, doing over 70 miles an hour. He's looking for his little boy. He can't see his boy anywhere. Now it comes down to a critical moment when he must move the controls and move the trestle so that it locks into place. It's in that moment that he looks and he sees his boy has fallen down into the gears. As a dad, everything in him in that moment is to go and to rescue his boy, but to not to do that means that he's not able to shift those gears. And he realizes that once he's done that, that the gears and the mechanisms will destroy, will kill his son. He has no choice. His train filled with passengers, hundreds of passengers. He hits that control. Those gears begin to churn. His son in a moment is killed. Trussell locks into place. His father is now standing there in the window and tears are streaming down his face. And he turns and he looks as that Amtrak train, that passenger train is going by him and he looks and there's the dining room car, the dining car with people laughing and fellowshipping and eating a meal. None of them never realizing the cost, the sacrifice that had been paid by that father. I'm afraid in a room like this, and I'm afraid people who listen by way of the website or podcast, I'm afraid for many of us, we forgot a long time ago the cost of what it meant to have and to do what L.A. did a moment ago, Chris, and what these young men did a moment ago. How quickly we forget the cost of our salvation, of redemption, of what the Father prayed and what He gave up. I'm going to ask you to stand and if you're here today and you don't know Christ, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ and the Lord is dealing with you now, we're going to give you that opportunity. This will be a little different invitation. Right now our worship leader is not here and I don't know if there's any provisions that it, have there been made okay uh, Megan you can go ahead and come on up Megan but in a moment we're going to have a hymn of invitation and if you've never given your life to Christ and you are standing here today and you don't know where you'd spend eternity if you died right now you don't have no idea if you were killed in a car accident on the way home do you know for certain that you're Christian that you've given your life to Christ because that's the most critical thing of all. Just over a year ago, Tina back there, Marge's daughter, not only was married, but before she was married, I went on to tell this story on Facebook, but 
Marge said, uh, Tina wants to talk to you. Went back into that bedroom where Tina was there. Some of her family were there. And Tina gave her life to Christ, even in her wedding gown, praying to receive Christ. This beautiful bride giving her life to Christ. I'll never forget, Tina, what I said to you. I said, wow. I said, there are two grooms in this room today. I said, number one, I said, you're getting ready to be married you're, to the man that was standing behind her. I said, but you're also now the bride of Christ. Are you the bride of Christ? Let me ask you something. How's your life going? How's your life going without Christ? How's your life going fighting God, fighting His will, fighting His plan and His purpose for His life? How, for your life? How's your life going with ignoring His word, rebelling against what you know to be His clear commands and teachings? How's life going? Is it good? I don't think so. But I can tell you this much. Jesus Christ can come into your heart and change your life. If you're not a Christian, you can settle this today and know that you're saved. Secondly, if you're here today and you're a Christian and you're rebelling against Christ, then you need to possibly come to this altar and say, Lord, I'm making a fresh commitment to you. Come to Reggie. Come to Ledge. Come to me. Come up here to Tamara or Sheila uh, and, and say, listen, I need somebody to pray with me because I know I'm a Christian, but my life is a mess. Would you come? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you, dear Lord, for what Gethsemane means. The place where the olives are pressed. But it's the place where the soul of our Savior was pressed with the weight and the pressure of our sin. In which Jesus Christ took the penalty of all our rebellion, all of our sin, every idle word, every thought, all the sin of humanity and he took it upon himself we praise you Lord Jesus you alone are worthy and we pray dear Lord if there's one here today a man or a woman a boy or girl who right now Lord you're speaking to their heart that they need to repent of their sin. They need to give their life to Christ. They need to come forward and say, I want to become a Christian. I want to do today what L.A. did a moment ago. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to follow in baptism. I pray, dear Lord, that nothing would keep them from coming and saying to Reggie, saying to Ledge, possibly to me or Sheila or, or uh, uh, Tamara, I want to be saved today. For others that may need to come and do business with God, may they do that today. God, speak to our hearts. And may when we leave this room, we leave this room with no regret, no remorse. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come today. Reggie will be here. Ledge is here. I'm here. Sheila Tam.